0: Assalamu everyone. My name is Muhi Khwaja with the American Muslim Community Foundation. And today on the Muslim Philanthropy Podcast, we have with us Abbas Ratani. He is the co-founder of Mipsters. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Of course. Um, so tell everybody where you're located.
1: I'm currently in Louisville, Kentucky, the up-and-coming art scene of the South, as they call it. I'm not sure if they actually call it that, but I, I'm calling it that.
0: <laughs> well, if there's any indication of um, just kind of foresight, I think you, as a founder of Mipsters, have that. So I think that it is safe to call Louisville the art scene of the South.
1: The up and coming art scene. Because yes. we have to include Austin, Texas. They're already established art scene.
0: For know? sure. For sure. So, obviously, like the hometown of Muhammad Ali, there's a lot of history there. Um, but tell us a little bit more about yourself, your upbringing, where you grew up, and all those fine details.
1: Uh, so, I, you know, I grew up in Queens, New York. I spent a good portion of my childhood uh, out there. Um, and then I moved to Fayetteville, North Carolina. I actually went to j cole's rival high school the time when j cole was in was in school uh and then finished finished high school as a 16 year old ended up going to college at the university of north carolina fell in love with islamic studies went to i you know growing up in fateville north carolina i moved there actually a year after 9 11. uh it's home to fort bragg military base everybody there was either Affiliated with the military or their family was actually in the military and I was the only one, you know, out there. No military affiliation. And so it was hard, you know, growing up as the only Muslim in that town specifically it was Hope Mills. It's smaller than Fayetteville, but people recognize Fayetteville. And when I went to college as a 16 year old wide eyed ready. You know to take on the world a lot of my Islam at the time was coming from like random websites like wahhabist websites, you know Uh, and that was the only thing that was really readily available and um, When I took Islamic studies courses for the first time I was blessed to have folks like Omid Safi uh, Carl Ernst uh, as professors and then the MSA was the complete opposite. I mean, they didn't really Hmm. accept me Uh, It was a lot of ostracization, a lot of my views and ideas uh, didn't fit in. I mean, UNC is a state university, so a lot of the kids who were, you know, there actually knew each other from, you know, living in Raleigh, Durham, Cary, Chapel Hill, and so they all went to the same mosque, and it was very cliquish, and, you know, I think those feelings of alienation plus my development... um, as an artist as a creative but then also falling in love with like some of the gnostic mystical branches of islam um i, I majored in religious studies with a focus on islamic studies and uh, i had a big interest in ethics and philosophy from the muslim perspective and it just like i didn't really have a home outside of academia you know and and uh and i think from there i ended up studying ethics uh, more formally ended up working and and studying and continue to do a lot of research uh within the um, islamic philosophy islamic ethics sector but ultimately that took me to new york city where mipsters happen as a huge accident
0: wonderful would love to tell everybody what is a mipster and how did the organization come to form
1: well you know for the longest time i thought people hated me because i was muslim but it turned out they hated me because i was a hipster so that's kind of <laughs> where
0: the hipster came from. they had now they have two reasons to hate you we'll just yeah, exactly. call it that yeah
1: <laughs> I like, oh i because I'm I'm a Muslim no it's about you know so it was it was an identity that you know we say it very tongue-in-cheek and, and the way it came about to be honest you know I went to uh, graduate school at the University of Pennsylvania their home to Wharton Business School so a lot of Muslim friends of mine went to Wharton Business School they were all really into being businessmen and women and when I moved to New York City to start my career as a comedian as a stand-up comic Um, it was 2012, Ramadan, and again, I was, I found myself in another position looking for community, looking for fellow Muslims. And some of my Wharton Muslim friends would invite me to events, these like Muslim young professional events. And unfortunately, you know, when you're having dinner in Manhattan or in New York City, period, you can spend up to like $50 a person. And so I'd get invited to these iftars where the entry fee was 50 bucks, Mm. you know, possibly to no fault of their own, you know, because the food and and space in Manhattan is very expensive. Um, I kind of felt like this is not another, you know, this became another space where I didn't feel home. You know, I, I come from a very poor part of Queens, New York called Elmhurst. Uh, Many people know about Elmhurst because it was like COVID ground zero in in New York City this past year. And, you know, my dad, you know, puts food on an airplane. You know, I don't come from a wealthy background and I was a struggling comic. So I made a lot of, uh, I made the wrong life decision of studying philosophy in the first place and then uh, trying to be a stand-up comic. And so uh, I found myself trying to connect with other communities uh, and then places that were giving away free iftar was like, you know, the Albanian mosque at the bottom of a grocery store or the Bangladeshi mosque in the back of a bodega. And I was like, man, I don't really fit in with these folks either. Um, and so a few of my artist friends who were visiting from Boston, who are visiting from California during Ramadan, it was the summer. Um, we started meeting up and having iftar together and we started doing it at the same exact date and times as some of these young professional events to provide an alternative to other creative Muslims looking to, you know, hang out with folks their age with common interests. And we thought, you know, if there's a Muslim business group, there's a Muslim young professionals group, there's a Muslim doctors group, you know, let's learn from what's happening in Zagadi Park, you know, 2011 Occupy Wall Street and be the be the opposite of that and be the hipsters, you know, be the Muslim hipsters who occupy uh, this corporate capitalistic framework of, of, uh, Mm -hmm. for me at the time, and even now as somebody who studied philosophy, I don't believe capitalism is in harmony with, you know, an Islamic conception of like distributive justice, you know, or restorative justice. And so at that time, I was like, you know what, let's occupy these, um, Muslim young professional Muslim capitalist organizations and become like Muslim hipsters. It didn't mean to be anything more than just a tongue-in-cheek commentary. But when Ramadan ended, those Muslim creatives now at that point it was like a hundred, two hundred Muslim creatives all over New York City were just like, oh, this can't end. Wow. Like we have to keep meeting up. We have to keep like playing music together. We have to make films together. We have to do things together. And I was like, hey. Uh, you know, that's not really my, you know, interests or desire. I'm trying to be a stand-up comic. And now you've, you've made, put me in a position where I have to organize events and, uh, do community building and things like that. And I was like, no, man, I've never really found a community. I don't really know what the first thing of community building is. You know, I never really had a sense of belonging. Uh, so how can you put me in charge of being the (laughs) event organizer, the community organizer, um, and I think with just, like, many, many years, with just constant support and enthusiasm, uh, Mipsters kind of took off. And partially was because one of our first early, early projects was the Mipsters Summer in America film that went viral. I mean, we mm-hmm. just basically got all of her friends together. Layla Shakely, man, she's a boss, dude. She's, she's so awesome. Her sister, whole family you know, uh, and her friends. And, you know, I went to, when I was at UNC, Iftihaj Mohammed was um, a student at Duke University. We went to Lupe Fiasco Center and we stayed in touch. And I was like, we're making this film, everybody, let's get together, you know, just showcase who we are in the day to day. And I think that in a way signaled to a lot of Muslims around the world, who are of the millennial generation, who were in their early 20s at that time, that, you know, there's another community out there. There's another interpretation. There's another um, sense of Muslim identity that they all resonate with in their heart of hearts. But now it came right. to fruition in a, in a um, visible way and something that they can actually see in a concrete kind of way.
0: Yeah, it's almost like having that hunger and desire to build community, uh, but doing it from a very particular lens, right? Um, Not necessarily like an ethnic lens or a professional lens, but just a creative lens, like you were saying. And I think that although maybe that wasn't your outset of like what you wanted to create, but it, it is beautiful to see the trajectory of that, of what has been done through that initial meeting of just getting together with a few people. Um, So kudos to you on that journey. And it's been exciting to see the work and I've been a fan of all of the um, projects that I've seen come out of MIPsters. Um, So it continues to blow my mind in terms of like just the artistic expression that is within the Muslim community. Um, And I'm glad that you do it with that lens of being Muslim, uh, but not necessarily limiting yourself by that as well, Uh, because I think that you guys are artists and creatives, regardless of your faith identity, but coming together to showcase the beauty of what your faith has to offer. Um, So I've been really impressed with it.
1: I think uh, two of the most beautiful things that popped out of this was, you know, people who grew up in Los Angeles, New York City, uh, Boston, these huge cities had access to a Muslim community. And I remember when I was growing up in Fayetteville, North Carolina, I had nobody, you know, there wasn't really a Muslim community out there that uh, of people my age, maybe one or two Muslims that I can think of, of, but they, they may hung up with their families and went to, Canada, went to Raleigh and I didn't have really a form of you know, transportation to do that and so when Summer in America came out we had Muslim uh, parents contact us and say hey my daughter is in high school and she's always been embarrassed about wearing hijab and self-conscious and this film just gave us a, a sense of pride it gave us a sense of validation because her non-Muslim friends are championing the video yeah. her non-Muslim friends are like oh my gosh I, you I love that video? it's amazing oh my god you know and then and then, then we were hearing from Muslims, um, uh, sorry, non-Muslims from around the world being like, hey, um, is it weird if I call myself a mipster? I'm not Muslim or anything, but I'd like to call myself. <laughs> and I was like, hey, man, if you're, associating, if you're associating Islam and Muslim as something, as an identity you want to take on, you know, and, and if you remember this this time period, I mean, this is like the height of ISIS, Al-Qaeda, all up the news and shit. And so... I don't know if I'll, you know. I apologize to all. This is a PG thirteen. You said it. It's fine. But yeah. you know, all of this stuff is, is yeah, yeah. Uh, all of this stuff is in the news. And for non-Muslims to be like, I want to be Muslim. I love this Muslim identity. To me, I was like, man, all it really took was for us to be ourselves and to have shine and not find ourselves in in a position of constantly responding to the vitriol, the harassment, the oppression, the hegemony around us. Anytime something happened, you know, we would, everybody has this feeling, you know, that, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I hope it wasn't a Muslim who didn't pay for his ice cream cone and walked out of that, you know, shop or whatever, any small minute thing. They'd be like, I hope that person isn't a Muslim because immediately care or or somebody has to go on the news being like, Muslims do not accept Walking out of ice cream shops without paying for the ice cream cone, you know, that's not something. It's just, it was absurd, you know. Uh, And, and to your point about the beauty, uh, you know, one of the things that really resonated with me that Omid Safi when he was my, when he was my professor as an undergrad, uh, said to me, he said, you know, Abbas, to power, people will submit willingly or unwillingly, but to beauty, everyone submits willingly. You know, and, and that really That's speaks brilliant. to some of the amazing like Yeah, and that, that speaks to some of the amazing power that poetry has, that artwork has, that people, whether you're Muslim or not, could see something and inside of them they're like, This is beautiful. There's there's no convincing necessary. There's no like, you know, have to force you to submit. You are already in submission to how beautiful something is inherent. your being as a as a human and i think with mipsters we were always just interested in creating works that spoke to us that resonated with us as individuals and we knew that if other people saw it they would submit to the beauty of it willingly
0: yeah and i think that also goes to showcase like you know, taking claim in charge of our own narrative, right? Like who is telling our stories for us? And to be able to have that impact of other people from outside of our faith community championing what you produce, um, that in and of itself is a win. And if that was the only good thing that came of this, I would say that that in and of itself was totally worth it
1: alhamdulillah man alhamdulillah i mean every day has just been a to see that that you know every every day we we think about another project and everyone's like man internally we're like man we hate his name mipsters that it's stuck with us accidentally and it's pretty washed up and you know let's let's you know do a barometer and test out there who's willing to work on our uh next project and you're and i'm we're just floored every single time people are like we want to get involved. We want to work on this thing. Let's do something. Uh, and, and it's just been, you know, a huge, a huge uh, blessing and also prize every day. I mean, the fact that, and this is another thing that Omid Safi said. I mean, one of the things that's promised to us in this life, the only thing that's promised to us in this life is death. So all of our breaths are numbered. And I remember whenever Omid Safi used to finish his classes, he would say, you know, thank you for spending your finite breaths with me in this class, you know, because mm. you could be spending that currency, aka your life, anywhere. But you were there listening, and and I'm just so blessed and just humbled anytime somebody takes a second to work on a project with us or even like you, any of our work. I'm just like and hamdulillah, you have a finite time on this earth, and you decided to spend even a few seconds of it with with you know, in this space.
0: For sure. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the other projects that uh, Mipsters has in the pipeline, or, you know, what are the things that keep you excited about this work?
1: You know, you, you actually hinted something about this, about the ability to control our own narrative. And when whenever Mipsters puts out artwork, sometimes there is a museum space or art curator that finds our work and says, we love this work, we want to showcase it. However, those folks are oftentimes white, they're non-Muslim, and they decide for us how they want to portray our work. And oftentimes it's orientalist, you know, it's otherizing. And it, it's, and we have to force ourselves to be, you know, American Muslim or Muslim American. It's like hyphen hyphen. It's like, bro, I, you know, I'm I'm American period. You know, regardless of what my religious identity is, you don't have to do qualifiers. And I think these qualifiers, you never have people who are white call themselves, oh, I'm a white Christian American. They're just American, you know, which right. highlights the level of hegemony and the control that a particular you know, group has. And so if there came a point where I got just like very fed up with these curators saying, we want to include you, but we want to include you on our terms. And if you say no, that's totally fine, but this volume on Muslim art won't include the Mipster's voice, and that's on you. And that's the other thing about being gatekeepers and controlling the narrative. If, if let's say a contemporary art museum puts out a volume and says hey this is all of the artwork around Muslim fashion and if Mipsters is not included because of like somewhere in America then 10-15 years or 10 generations down the line when somebody goes back through the archive and says what was Muslim fashion art they'll open Mm -hmm. a book and we're omitted from that because someone decided that because of the terms and conditions, we weren't agreeable because we said, no, we don't want to be portrayed in an orientalist kind of way. So this led us to create a, a new project. And with this project, we said, you know what, let's just be ourselves, let's project ourselves or an alternative universe. You know, if we if we had the power to hit either reset button on earth, or if we could look at a parallel universe what would a Muslim future look like? And that's what gave birth, that initial idea gave gave rise to us starting to ex- experiment with something that was very feasible, which was music. And so we had this residency at Zoo Labs in Oakland, California, and oh, we nice. brought musicians from everywhere. And we were very mm-hmm. lucky to be in residence at the same time uh, Malik Yusuf, who's a six-time Grammy Award winner. Uh, Kanye writes a lot of music with him. A lot of college dropout, late registration was written by uh, Malik uh, Yusuf, or Malik, as he says. Um, And he was at the same time in residency with us. And we used to just collaborate with his musicians. He would collaborate with my musicians. And he, he kept saying, he was like, Aki, you know my bro, my sons would love this. You know he's practicing Muslim, and he's like, my sons would love Mipsters. My family, like this is exactly what are you know your generation is doing. As so we started experimenting with music that you one would hear on a different planet, or on in a different world or a different reality, that was that was uh, a futurist kind of sound, kind of like the um, you know uh, Afrofuturist music that emerged you know in the 70s and 80s, and you know with Janelle Monae being the new uh, Contemporary Afrofuturist artist. We were kind of learning mm-hmm. from that tradition. That then, uh, working with you know Sarah El fageet she was you know uh, the creative director of Mipsters for about three years, and under her direction and ideas, she said, you know what, let's think big. Let's let's think about the ways in which animals can also interact with human beings and the relationship with color and and iconography and fashion and paying homage to previous generations paying homage homage to other cultures around the world, you know, that our our ancestors come from. How do we bring all of that together in this future? You know, and if you think about it, you know, Star Wars, for example, was filmed in Turkey, in uh, Tunisia, you know, Mm -hmm. and these movies that Americans are watching and saying this is Americana, this is American art forms, they're done in Muslim Areas and Omid Safi will be the first to tell you that Star Wars is largely based on Muslim conceptions of like good versus evil, of justice, you know. And their they're, they're all wearing thobes, you know. It looks like they're all heading to Fajr prayer in the morning with their thobes <laughs> in the woods, you know. And so it's like you're already borrowing and and appropriating from our culture. Imagine if we had license, creative license. And so that's where this Alhamdu Muslim futurism project came about. It started off as a film, as music, as portraits, um, that blended fashion, that blended the colors and everything. And we've released that over Instagram. And then we applied uh, for a grant through uh, the Doris Duke Foundation for Islamic Art to say, hey, we're interested in scaling this idea and not only just limiting it to mipster artists but just like muslim muslim adjacent artists you know artists who are just like i'm not muslim from a religious sense but identify as mipster you know we have a lot of folks like that it's like let's collate and curate all of that art together everyone is welcome we're not going to say oh you're not an artist that fits you know kind of the same ways in which you know uh you know, using this word bluntly, but white supremacists, you know, who are just like, well, we have an idea of what Islamic art is. You know, white supremacists doesn't have to be like the KKK or Nazis. I mean, you can have white supremacy on the liberal side of like white as perfection, white as, as pure. And so we would see that on the artist side or art curation side. And and, and we were very deliberate and be like, look, everybody is welcome. We have a very strict policy of, of inclus- inclusion, inclusivity, of pluralism, cosmopolitanism, which was something Alia Sani over at Harvard was sharing with me. And Sylvia Chan-Malik who's one of the advisors, was very much nice. like, look, you, you have a project that's, you know, uh, that that is about anti-black, that that confronts anti-black racism, that confront confronts settler colonialism, nativism, you know, um, sexism, homophobia, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and then and then through that, as we started developing the project. What we realized and Aisha Schillingford, she runs the Wakanda Dream Lab and Intelligent Mischief, she's another one of our advisors, was telling me that when she was working on the uh, Wakanda Dream Lab, she would ask, you know, uh, black folks, how do you conceive of a utopia? And the immediate go-to is conceiving of a utopia that's free from oppression. But when you Hmm. push them and they said, okay, let's say there's no oppression, there's no hegemony, there's no anti-black racism. What's next? What does the healthcare policy in Wakanda look like? What does the transportation policy or immigration policy in Wakanda look like? And she was noticing that because of, of minority oppression, minority disenfranchisement, marginalization, and because we've had to live like this for so long, it's so hard to take it to the next step. You know, uh, I got introduced to Rebecca Hankins um, Another one of our advisors, uh, Saint Rashid, and Rebecca Hankins. This prof, she's a professor um, and also a librarian, and just like an OG a- in Texas. And she does Afrofuturism, uh, science fiction, and Islam. You know, and she's like practicing Muslim. And she's like, there's so many futuristic science fiction elements within the Islamic tradition for generations, for centuries. That now, once we imagine a world free from oppression. How do we take it to another level and start imagining these, you know, esoteric uh, worlds where Muslim joy is a form of liberation? And, and even just thinking about this, you know, just allowing ourselves to imagine, you know, we we are viewing this joy as a form of resistance, as a form of liberation, as a form of Muslim liberation, and we couldn't have done any of this without, you know, the the developments within Afrofuturism. And one of our partners is the Center for Afrofuturist Studies. Um, who's amazing, you know, has been helping us develop and also learn, you know, very closely from the uh, Afrofuturist tradition and Afrofuturism and how those scholars and creatives and thinkers started thinking about their worlds and their realities. Because when Afrofuturism came about, you know what I mean? Like if you think about the time course, that's the same time mm-hmm. that, you know, white folks are thinking about fantasy worlds, like Star Wars track, whatever. and you start seeing you know, black versions of that adjacent or in parallel being like, you know, we're not going to sort of abide by this exclusionary worldview where Star Wars is just entirely a white universe, you know, whether deliberate or inadvertent, it's what it is, what it is. And so um, on with the Center for Afrofuturist Studies has been very much, you know, um, pushing us to think, you know, What does Muslim Futurism respond to? Who does it, you know, who is it for? Who's included, you know, and and it's been just like a beautiful journey and we've been, you know, uh, dropping stuff uh, on our Instagram slowly. We have a website, Muslimfuturism.com where we're sharing works. Uh, um, And so because of that, the project keeps getting bigger and bigger. And then, you know, budget constraints, uh, etc. You know, out there, you know, people, if you got some extra change, think about us.
0: Ching Ching. Um, so, you know, as a nonprofit leader, um, maybe somebody who didn't necessarily think of themselves in that trajectory, but really you're, you're leading all of this visionary work. Um, and I think I know the answer, but I want to ask it is like, what are some of the challenges that you've seen and what advice do you have to people who want to start their own initiatives?
1: Let me uh, tackle the second question uh, because I think it's, it's a little bit easier to answer, but I think it also stems from the challenges. I, I, the, the biggest advice I would give folks is whatever it is, do it. You know, don't, don't think about it so much that you have just paralysis from analysis, paralysis that, that, as they call it, and never actually get to do it. I mean, the first iteration Mm -hmm. of anything you do is not going to be something that you've envisioned in your head. And one of the biggest things that people are always, you know, I have this conversation with a lot of younger folks all the time. They're like, man, if I just had a million dollars, you know, if I I had a million dollars, my (laughs) vision would come through guarantee you give them a million dollars and still their vision isn't what it is, you know, as they've um, imagined it in their brain. And so I just push folks like whatever idea you have, do it, stay true to yourself, you know, and try to do something that's feasible. Think of a like a, as you know, in the business or the, the uh, startup world, they they call it an MVP, most minimally viable product, you know, think of the, the smallest thing that you can do that's still, in line with your initial vision as a prototype, as a sample product, and then build off of that. you know see who's interested in it. You know if that took you five dollars to make, maybe somebody will be like, yo, here's here's three extra dollars. You make the next thing." And then slowly you'll see you know uh, everything grow, you know pretty fast uh, at times. The other thing is be humble. And there's always merit in other people's ideas and criticisms. I think one of the biggest things, you know, I've I've seen and I've learned is people come to me all the time and they're just like, Mr. sucks. And instead of you know <laughs> fighting back, I'm always like, Oh yeah, I agree. Uh, I have, but I have I have my reasons. I have my reasons, but what are yours? Like, well, I, I want to learn from you. And they're immediately taken aback. They're like, Oh man, I was just being right. Provocative. I was like, okay, cool. But if you do have any ideas, I want to learn from you. I want to find the merit in anybody's criticism and anybody's claim. And I think there's wisdom there right. because you know, now when, when Mipsters came about and we were in our twenties, you know, now we're in our thirties and Gen Z is in their twenties and Gen Z is like, dag, everything you guys are putting out is hella cringe. And I'm like, okay, Mm. we thought this was dope. Please explain why Alice was cringe. (laughs) You know? And and learning from them, it really pushes us to be like, oh my gosh, like you're right. I mean, the things are are shifting, The, the vibes are shifting. MIPS has always represented, you know, the youth. You know, I think the ideas are with the youth. And if more mosques, for example, you know these these the there's like a crisis in the mosques where they're like there's not enough young people here how do we get more young people the solution is to involve younger people i'm talking 16 to 26 year olds on your boards and you'll be surprised and if you brilliant them, like if you give them a microphone and actually listen to them and implement their ideas you'll be yep. very impressed with how things change you know what i mean And so and so that's the biggest advice is like, you know, I understand, you know, a lot of younger folks, myself included, don't want anything to do with the mosque community because there's a huge generational divide. And whenever whenever young people suggest something, it's like, oh, can we use this space for this? Can we use this? They're like, no. But mosques that have uh, success incorporated younger um, groups of people, you know, with different ideas, they're very successful mosque communities. I mean, look at NYU. Even when I go to New, when I whenever I go to New York, I have to make a pit stop at, at NYU. I always see right. Hague Web in the prayer room, you know, doing Snapchats. I don't know if that's the answer, <laughs> Webb, but it speaks to <laughs> it speaks to the power and ideas and innovation and imagination that younger folks have. So those are the biggest advices I'd give. The challenges, as you can imagine, is what happens when you're, you're faced with an idea that you, um, philosophically disagree with. You know what I mean? Like, like at, at the height of this call, I said, very frankly, that I think capitalism is at odds with my conception of a distributive conception of justice. Now people are listening who probably made all of their money, you know, through capitalistic means and don't want to hear some young kid who's a philosopher artist, being like, you know, F capitalism, you know, that's offensive because now it's them questioning their identity. Similarly, we're posed with um, ideas that you know what do you do when somebody says, hey, you know, we should include all Muslim artists, but oh, Shia, Ismaili, Ahmadis, they're not Muslim, so we can't, we shouldn't include them. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? How do you how do you say, okay, how do I find the merit in what you're proposing? But at the same time um navigate such that i don't chew you away that i box you out right but also right. open up your mind to highlight highlight that ismailis are foundational to our concession of islam ahmadis are foundational i mean you know and 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 uh and, and allowing uh, you know allowing space for that requires a lot of education. And I and I think mm-hmm. I've been fortunate and blessed that because I studied Islamic studies at UNC and at that time, UNC was like one of the top Islamic studies programs in the country. I developed all of these friendships with a bunch of like my TAs and one of the advisors, Zara Ayubi, who's a, a professor at Dartmouth, who does a lot of work around gender justice and morality, Always asking her questions. I'm always picking her brain. Like, okay, how do you reconcile this within the tradition? How do you think about these things? I'm calling up Omid Safi. I'm like, Omid John. Like, how are you thinking about this in terms of a justice perspective, an Islamic justice perspective? And having that that uh, sense to to know where your limits are um, can help mm-hmm. open doors as you as you deal with these problems. And I think to to be honest, that's been the biggest challenge: is how do you find merit? in ideas that immediately just turn you off you know and how do you keep an open mind and how do you include everyone uh especially folks who are having a hard time initially um finding the human connection across everybody you know and and i want to move away from this um you know i think society you know, MIA has this great song called Borders, and the entire song is, she's just saying, Borders, what's up with that? You know, and then she goes down this laundry list of things and just adds what's up with that, what's up with that, to highlight the social constructionism of our entire world. I mean, these are all arbitrary boundaries that humans have created. Why do we have borders? Why do we have, why are you in the, invested in the dark arts of deciding who is Muslim or not, or even the darker arts of deciding who is a human being and who is not, you know? And I'm trying to interface with folks and 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 get them out of the dark arts. And anybody who's read Harry Potter knows, you know, Voldemort, you know, like arts, no good, you know, and so I think that's been the biggest, really the biggest challenge is 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 shining the light, keeping the faith. Um, mm-hmm. And the second thing is this, people have uh people have a a interesting monolithic conception of islam and on one hand you have people who grew up in abusive homes um who were muslim culturally and as they grow up they form a resentment towards islam but it's a particular definition of islam that they have come up with based on their upbringing and then when they interface with other muslims they're like you're you're not Muslim, you know, the Muslim and Islam I'm familiar with is abusive, you know, and as a result, you have to be able to to shine the beauty and highlight, you know, look, I'm I'm not in any way underplaying or downcasting somebody's, you know, upbringing or experience, right? But at the same time, I'm trying to also say, wait a minute, you cannot, you know, we shouldn't conflate religious identity with, actual abuse and trauma and i think we need to confront abuse and trauma within our communities but the conflation really prevents us from from seeing the 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 light and even dealing with abuse and trauma. you know and in my own family you know growing up with folks who have very negative views about islam and seeing my dad quiet introverted humble guy practicing muslim was an inspiration for me and then i have other members in my family who have traumatic experiences with Islam, and I think it's taken them the example of my dad and myself to them to then be like, oh, wait a minute, it's not Islam; it was my upbringing. It was my parents who were restrictive right. because my uncle and Abbas are follow the same religion as me in the same community, and they have vastly different experiences. You know, and and I think um, Muslims need to also be conscious and even non muslims need to be conscious of how we try to define and block uh, uh and box islam into one particular definition i mean a lot of muslims get upset with me for saying that i really believe anybody is muslim as long as they self uh, identify as muslim like i said i'm not in, involved in the dark arts of defining who is or who is a muslim i'm not in that business right but i don't think any muslim should be you know and i think it's very important that, that folks expand their minds and say, look, we're all human beings at the end of the day, we are whatever we say we are, and we're, we don't have to like test anybody uh, or, or have anybody prove their worth or value as a human being.
0: Right, I mean, the Shahada is the Shahada for a reason, right? If somebody claims that they believe in God and they believe that the Prophet Muhammad is a final messenger, who are we to say otherwise? Uh, if their actions, speak in accordance to Islam as well, right? You can't be like killing people and then be like, you know, la la, la la. But I feel like at the same time if if you want to seek the truth and work towards the truth and you have an understanding of what the truth is and you feel aligned with what Islam teaches, then, you know, I think that's that's the beauty of it. Um so I, I want like to take this the
1: phrasing so I, I would yeah, just, I would push you oh, I would just push you the, the Islam teaches That's that's sometimes even it seems subtle, right? It even seems very subtle even the intentionality I think is good, right? But I think even the language of like what Islam teaches Can sometimes trigger ideas in people's minds of oh, I think I kind of know what muhi thinks Islam teaches you know, and I think that's where I even try to avoid like complete anthropomorphization of Islam. You know, whenever like, oh, Islam says or Islam teaches it's like Islam, not necessarily a person unless, you know, you know, common Bengali last name is Islam. Unless we're talking about that <laughs> person. And I try to stay away from. Like, yeah, <laughs> I try to stay away from Islam teaches or Islam says and I say, listen, There's these are the the, the source materials. Like, here's the Quran, here's you know, the Masnavi, here's the Najal Bulaga. Like, read it. How do you feel? What do you think? Engage with your fellow Muslims, right? And we can talk about this later, but even this notion of like conversion or reversion, I'm like, does it have to really be that dramatic of a wording? Why can't we be like, we're just adopting this worldview and thinking about it in human beings? Beings are in flux. Human beings are transient, you know, and 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 we have to think about ourselves in those transcendental ways. But anyway, we're departing from Mipsters, but it's a reflection of how I go into this, you know. It's a, it's a reflection of how I go into Mipsters. It's woke up, whether you identify as Muslim or not, whether you identify as Mipster or not. But let's tap into our cultural. Like beauty that's in our hearts, and create something, bring it out without shame, with with some vulnerability, and 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 through that, let people's Islam or people's uh, conception of Islam speak for themselves. Sorry, I didn't mean to trail.
0: No, not at all. And and I love the clarification, and definitely wholeheartedly agree with everything that you said. Um, You know, I want to give you an opportunity to maybe uh, share anything that you haven't been able to state about mipsters before we wrap up as well
1: yeah i mean most important thing is things live on because people have a memory of it and people are deliberate about its preservation And if there is anything that MIPsters has put out or other Muslim creatives have put out that resonate with you, I strongly recommend you share it and keep sharing it and share it every year on a regular basis. I mean, sharing is one, caring. Uh, It shows care uh, of the artwork uh, and, and works that that person created with all of their heart and all of their time. But it also shows caring to the people around you or where you say, hey check this out what do you think about this and you're interfacing with people um and in this world of social media sometimes people you know consume stuff passively they don't take a second to think about how much time and effort some you know uh (laughs) low-income creatives you know put their hard work and effort to make something uh who are just trying to see if it resonates with you and uh, sharing is also free and social media is free I mean it doesn't cost you anything to put you know an endorsement or to comment or whatever and I know everybody's tired of hearing share like comment subscribe you know but to be honest the way in which the world has uh, morphed is that's a form of preservation you know that's our form today of of preservation and and highlighting that this is a value of this work is of of meaning you know and i think views is the way in which people will go back and say what are the most influential works of the 2000 era people will be like oh yeah gungam style why is gungam style one of the most influential (laughs) works because of the views you know it's it's because other human beings have said this work is worth preserving. It is a representation of this time period, you know? Uh, ironically, Gungam Style came out in 2012 when Mipsters was born. So uh, I, and, and, you know, that's the thing I want there is, I don't necessarily need, it. love money is great, new projects, but what's most important is is an acknowledgement From anybody who's seen it, that the work that we're making is of value to other human beings.
0: Beautifully said, Abbas. Uh, And you can find their work at Mipsters.com, M I P S T E R Z, on Instagram, Mipsters Official, on Twitter, Mipsters. Um, You know, I'm going to go share and like and everything. Mipsters, right now. Um, So, Abbas, it's been really great just having an opportunity to hear from you directly about the wonderful work and the vision behind it. Uh, Thank you for spending time with us, your finite time, uh, as Professor Safi would say. um, And, you know, keep doing amazing things, and you have the support of AMCF. We're always happy and honored to showcase different nonprofits. You can check out our nonprofit directory. Uh, We've done other podcasts with other organizations. Um, So we really hope that, um, you know, some of our families will also fund the work of Mipsters. And we hope that we can build a continued relationship to help with your leadership development and capacity building so that you can continue to put out this creative work.
1: Mui, I'm Proud of you, man. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for dedicating your time to this. I mean, you could be out here, Wall Street making millions and billions of dollars, <laughs> but you are really focused on the community and developing Thank the community you. and developing our voice. And uh, Appreciate you, it. You know, before this podcast began, you shared a little bit about where the idea of uh, AMCF came about. And I love that it's deliberate. And that you're putting shine on the Muslim name uh, and the shine on of our community, and you know kudos and this and this work that you're doing. Honestly, man, good. Alhamdulillah. You know, it, it it requires heart and it requires courage, and uh, you know, and that's reflected in this work.
0: I appreciate it. I'm much happier giving away the millions than making them. So we're committed to that. Shallah. Take care Alhamdulillah. and Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Yes. Yes. All right, man. Take it easy.
1: The lab